Let's pray. Father, uh, I just thank you for the, the hymn we sang, uh, Nothing But the Blood. And uh, yes, I'm reminded that is why I can preach this morning. It's by the blood that makes me worthy to share your word with your people. And uh, would it do just that? And would your Holy Spirit help me and help all of us to hear and receive and live by your word? Amen. Be seated, please. <clears throat> we have to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. That's a, a turn of phrase from a book called The Sabbath World, written by Judith Shulevitz. She's a, an American journalist, cultural critic. She writes for the New York Times and uh, this book of hers she wrote, it explores the Sabbath and what, what the Sabbath has meant from ancient times to modern times for Jews, for Christians, for secular people living in New York City. And the usual thinking is that, yeah, we need to stop the literal meaning of Sabbath. Sabbath literally means stop, cease. That we need to stop working, we need to stop exerting ourselves because we need rest. That's just the kind of creatures we are. We need this rest. Rest yeah, rejuvenates us. It rejuvenates our mind, our bodies. It puts us in a better mood, uh, helps us to function, helps us to flourish. And without it, we know we get in a bad mood. <laughs> we get irritable. Our immune system gets compromised. We get stressed. We get depressed. We get anxious. We, we don't do well. Because, as we heard last week, we were fashioned to function best in rhyming lines of work and rest. But Shulevitz's turn of phrase highlights actually something, another reason to rest. That's not just about our health our benefit, our bodily benefit. She says we have to, to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. So if we're always on the go, we just don't have the mental space to think deeply about things, to, to remember and to reflect upon things that matter, that refresh us. We have to enter a different kind of time. Sabbath time, stop time, cease time. You have to stop to remember, at least in the deeper way that, that the scriptures are calling us to, that we heard about this morning. And I think sometimes that just means just stop what you're doing and go for a walk. <laughs> just go out the door and walk down the street and remember something about God as your creator. Remember something about God as your redeemer as you go about and rest in that. So you look, look at the tree you're seeing and you hear the bird and you know this is what God created. This is what he finished on the final day and he saw that it was good. He stopped. He delighted in the works of his hands. And it's good for us just to go do that with God. Just stop, rest, and delight in the works of his hands with God. 
Or it's good to think about some, something of redemption. Think about how Jesus overcame sin and death. The sin and death at work in your life right now. The sin and death in your relationships, in your working community, in your city, that is overwhelming you. You're like, oh, somehow this has been dealt with in a decisive way already in the cross, in the finished work of Christ. Rest in that. Delight in that. Thank God for that. Spend some time in that. That's a great way to be refreshed, to be rested. So we've been, again, asking who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? And last week we looked at how the creative work of the Holy Spirit in Genesis finished with Sabbath rest. That's what the Spirit, along with God's Word, gave to us. And this week we're going to look at how the redemptive work of the Spirit in the Exodus gave people Sabbath rest again after it had been lost. So last week we looked at the Ten Commandments and how there were two versions of the Ten Commandments, in fact. If you read the one in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy. And both versions actually start not with a commandment, but with a declaration of redemption, of grace. So both start with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So we start with God's grace, what he's done, and then we move into how Israel should live in light of that. That's, that's the overall pattern of the scriptures. But you notice this difference between the two versions when it comes to the fourth commandment in particular. The first version connects it to creation. Remember the Sabbath day. That means remember the meaning of this day. Remember the story that's part of this day. Remember that. Go deep into that. Remember how God created for six days and stopped and rested on the seventh day, saying it's all very good. He's delighting in the works of his hands. God did that. He made you to do that. Now you do that as well. That's how you remember the Sabbath day. What did God do? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to imitate that in his image. So the first commandment links it to creation. Then the second one, interestingly, links it to redemption, to, for the Israelites, the Exodus, which for them was something like the cross of the Old Testament. That was the defining moment of God's saving Israel. So this is what This is how it goes. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a stop, a cease day. To the Lord your God, Yahweh, the great I am. It's to the Lord. So this is the day, the time we turn from the idols of our age, the idols of our own life, and we turn to our Creator and our Redeemer. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter. Again, we mentioned last week, there's no privilege here in the sexes. Both sexes get it. That wasn't always true in this day, especially in this day. Nor your male servant, nor your female servant. 
This isn't just for the upper class. This is for all people. Nor your ox, your donkey, or your animals. This isn't just for the human species. This is literally for all, all the living. Nor any foreigners residing in your towns. Those would be what we would call refugees, typically, in this time. So that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. And here's the reason. Remember. It's a lot of how this, the Sabbath is meant to be about remembering. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. You too were these strangers in a strange land. You were enslaved, so you should know what it feels like to be like that. And that the Lord God brought you out there, out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So, God gave you Sabbath rest, and you should give Sabbath rest to those who are under your care, whether it's your dependents, whether it's your animals, whether it's the vulnerable among you. If you have any influence over them, you better make sure that they get a rest too. Not just you, but them. <clears throat> so when you read these two commandments, you're, it seems like two very different reasons, maybe, at first reading, the creation and the, and the exodus. How do these connect? Um, how are these similar? And I think if you pay a little closer attention, you'll see, actually, how they are very similar in a lot of ways. So, in the, for example, in the first creation, or in Genesis, God overcomes cosmic chaos, the darkness, the empty void, the formless void. In Exodus, God overcomes social chaos, slavery. And of course, in the New Testament, he overcomes the chaos of sin and death, the biggest ones. In Genesis, he does this again through his spirit and his word. In New Testament language, the Holy Spirit and the Son of God, who is the word made flesh. And in Exodus, he does it through his spirit as well. Now, in Exodus, the Holy Spirit is never named explicitly. But actually, in Isaiah 63, the Holy Spirit is actually named. And actually, the the word Holy Spirit only shows up a couple of times in the, New Test or in the Old Testament. One is in Psalm 51, and the other time is in Isaiah 63. And this is what it says. In the context, the, the people are under God's judgment. They've, it says they grieved the Holy Spirit. And then it says, Then his people, in verse 11, recalled the days of old, remembered the days of old, that is, the exodus. The days of Moses and his people. And then all these questions get asked. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his, work, of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? Who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand? Who d divided the waters before them to give for himself everlasting renown? who led them through the depths. Like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. 
This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. So the Exodus ends with, the end result there is the Holy Spirit gave them rest. And we're going to look at more of that, deep, more in detail at that. But this is again what God did in Genesis through the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. He gives us rest. But in Genesis, you have God giving rest in chapter 2, but by chapter 3, with the fall of Adam and Eve, we lose Sabbath. Sabbath rest is never spoken of. It's lost, so to speak. Not until the Exodus is it reintroduced into human history. So what we do hear about in between Genesis and Exodus is just of toil and restlessness. And it's in this time between Egypt and the Promised Land where God brings back the the Sabbath day, a rest every seven days. This is the kind of thing God does for people. This is what God's about. He is a God of rest. He gives us rest. He's not like Pharaoh. And there's a lot of Pharaohs still in our day. So back in Egypt, Israel was in a bad way. They were slaves making bricks for Pharaoh. They were, and there were never enough bricks. It was bricks all day, every day. There was no weekend in Egypt, or in any nation for that matter, as I mentioned last week. Israel is the first nation on the planet to experience a blessing of a day off. Bricks were used to, to build storehouses for grain, and these were uh, something like banks. So the currency of the day would have been grain, and it was a form of wealth, a form of power, and so the more bricks you could make meant the more you could build a storehouse for it, meant more grain, meant more power. And of course, because of greedy human hearts, there are never going to be enough bricks. And the people who paid for this the most were, of course, slaves. So no rest for slaves, certainly no Sabbath, no weekends, only oppressive, restless work. Well, God is not like Pharaoh. God is good. God is a God of rest. So he delivers Israel from these terrible living, working conditions. He heard their cry, it says. And he delivers them out and he brings them to the promised land, which is mostly talked about as a land of rest. And to get them ready for that land of rest in the wilderness on the way is when he introduces them to a day of rest. Again, first time in the Bible, apart from Genesis 1 and 2, we hear about the Sabbath. First time in human history. So not only does God give them a, a break once a week, but he actually replaces their oppressive work-making uh, work with easy manna-gathering work. So they're going through, they don't have food, they don't have water, and he provides in miraculous ways. He gives them this stuff called manna, which was something, some kind of wafer that tasted like honey. And I kind of imagine it tasting like a really good pastry. And uh, 
I love pastries, and uh, so people at the office know. Most days, I, I order online uh, this thing. It's called a raspberry Pop-Tart. It's not your <laughs> normally Pop-Tart. It's amazing. One of the best things I've ever eaten. But what I do is I go online, and I order it, so then they just put it on this, uh, this trolley, and I just have to go down and gather it, gather my manna. <laughs> and then I, I go over to the park, and I just sit there with the trees and listening to the birds, eating my Pop-Tart. I'm Sabbathing. This is my Sabbath practice in the day. And uh, I imagine that's something similar to the amount of work that the Israelites had to do. They just had to gather this manna. Uh, that's what they had to do. And on the sixth day, God gave them twice as much. So they didn't have to gather anything. On the seventh day, God provided for them. That's always a big issue in our minds. If I stop working, will I have enough? Will there be enough? And the story, the story of the Exodus is meant to say, yes, you can trust God for that to take a break in your day and in your week. But no wonder when it came time for Israel to respond to this covenant of God. It was, this thing with Moses was a big covenant full of laws and promises and a lot about the Sabbath. This is a new thing. So no wonder in Exodus 19, the people all respond together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded us to do. It was like they knew a good deal when they heard it. <laughs> this was unheard of, this Sabbath rest. A deity providing this for the people. Unheard of. Didn't happen. They were like, where is the pen? Where do I sign? <laughs> we're done with Pharaoh in Egypt. We want Yahweh and his land of rest. Yes. It's hard for us to hear that because we, by the time the New Testament comes, the Pharisee had made the Sabbath a burden. And so we have very negative views of Sabbath as Christians, typically. But that wasn't the case in the beginning. <laughs> this was good news. This was one of the best parts of the covenant for people. And this story, the remembering the Exodus, remember what I did for you, part of that way is, part of that story is remembering how he provided for the Israelites and how he can provide for you too. So we had this when we were working, we were ready to enter a Sabbath at Labrie, an extended Sabbath. And the big question was, oh man, student fees aren't going to be coming in if we do this. Are we going to be able to pay the bills? And it wasn't, it's not the primary way we get all of our money, but it was a significant way. And so we prayed. We cried out to the Lord. And right before our Sabbath begun, a big amount of money came in that was going to cover that student cost. And we could rest in that. God gave us the extra manna right before we entered our Sabbath. And he can do that for us. We can ask him for that, pray for that, expect that from him. That's what he does. He's very interested in giving us this kind of rest. And I think sometimes we've got to be a little ready to be radical, more radical than our neighbors in pursuing this, especially in New England. So I mentioned a few, few weeks ago this businessman I, I heard from one time in my undergrad who was part of this company, very successful company. He was uh, an owner of it with two other owners, and, but he was working himself to death. He wasn't living. He wasn't thriving by any means. He wasn't flourishing. And so he wanted to do something radical. He came to his partners and said, look, um, 
I need some more rest. This is too much. And I'm willing to take a cut and, and pay, and even to take a lower position. And I only want to work four days a week. Uh, again, it sounds like, whoa, he's being lazy, and that's probably the perception maybe people had. And it's certainly the perception people had of the Jews. They're these lazy people. They take a day off. Um, but no, he did that. And he became one of the most alive people in Jesus I've met because he did that. We need to be willing to do some radical, creative, faithful things like that in our day. That's what Christians should be doing, leading the way in. Back to the commandment. Of course, this wasn't a suggestion for Israel. Hey, if you want to do well in life, I suggest this for you. This was so important. It was a commandment with very strict consequences. But if you read it, it's very much directed to those with influence, those who have power, influence over other people. So it says to you and your children, those who are dependent upon you, to you and your servants, your employees, to you and those, those animals under your care even, the vulnerable, the strangers in your midst, you make sure they get a rest too. It's up to you. They can't always make that happen. But you might have some influence over them where you can make it happen. So I think that's, there's some hard questions we do have to ask. So as parents, as educators, are we making a day off, uh, a day off where you can really be off from your studies and a schedule? Are we making that actually possible or practically impossible? As employers with people who work for us, are we making a day off where you really don't have to go into work, you don't have to answer texts or emails or phone calls? Are we actually making that possible for those who work for us or practically impossible? With the political influence that we have, whatever that may be, are we promoting Pharaoh's Egypt or Yahweh's land of rest? especially for the vulnerable amongst us. In our own life, do we look more like Pharaoh or like Yahweh, who works and rests? Do we think in our minds, and this is where I think it starts, that there are never enough bricks? Is that the way we think? There's never enough productivity. There's never enough studying I could do. There's never enough publications I could make. There's never enough money in the bank. There's never enough exercise I could do. And on and on you could go. If we think like that, we're thinking like Pharaoh. We need to check. That's a mind that has not remembered to stop. It's a mind that has not uh, stopped to remember that the Lord our God created for six days and rested on the seventh and he stopped and he rested and he saw that it was good. That's a mind that has not stopped to remember that God, the Lord God rescued Israel from that kind of living to lead them into a land of rest where they could rest with him, where he would provide for them to rest with him. Enjoy life with him.
And as Christians, we have even more to remember and to rest in, right? Jesus Christ is the Lord our God who has rescued us from the land of sin and death. The biggest problems that face you with humanity have already been dealt with and overcome in a decisive way. In Jesus Christ, we have been judged and forgiven and made right. In Jesus, God has destroyed death. We need to remember these things, rest in these things with God. And you're going to find a rest that you could have in no other way. So, yes, we are called to work out this salvation, this redemption with fear and trembling. To express this redemption in our relationships, to pray for it, to work for it in our communities and our work. And that does take work and effort and suffering sometimes. But we need to start with, as the people of God, with it is finished. That makes all the difference in how we go about these kinds of things. So at the end of our gathering, we always send all our problems and the devil's works to the cross. And why do we do that? Because there, they've all been dealt with already and overcome in a decisive way. So when I think of things like oppression in the world and racism and sexual deviation and division and broken relationships, these things overwhelm me when I first encounter them. And they make me restless and hopeless many times when I just look at them just them. It's too much. How in the world are we ever going to address this and overcome this? But when I stop to remember that in the cross, they have been overcome in a decisive way, it is finished. I find a rest that I can find in no other way. I find a hope that invigorates me, actually, to face those things to overcome those things in the present. But it starts with me stopping and remembering the cross. Stopping, remembering creation, redemption. We have to stop, or we have to remember to stop, because we have to stop to remember in this way. Let's pray. Father, there's uh, much that keeps us from, from stopping and remembering what's most important, what would give us actual rest. Forgive us for these things. Forgive us for, for the idols that get all of our attention. Forgive us for our obsessions that keep us from actually truly living before you and with you. Help us. Help us to turn from them, to stop and remember and rest and delight and live with you. For your mercy's sake, hear us. Amen.